I am here again. Pastor Dave is almost here. He's arriving, I believe, on Thursday. Wednesday or Thursday, yes. He will be here on Thursday. So keep praying for Benny and Pastor Dave. Um, Last time I heard, they were heading to Sudan. And I don't know exactly where they are right now. It could be anywhere, really. But uh, keep praying for them for a safe trip back and, you know, everything that they are doing right now. Today we're going to go through 2 Samuel 16. And uh, before we go into that chapter, I think it's important that we can go back a few chapters back so we can refresh our memory because there's a few events from the past that are going to show up today. There's a few people that we learned in the past that are going to show up today. But before that, let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, because you are good. And we are grateful that we can be here learning from your word. We are grateful that you, you have mercy on us and you rescue us and that we can have a relationship with you, Lord. We want to learn. We want to hear your voice. We pray, Lord, that you can open our heart, our understanding, our mind, and that we can hear your voice speaking to our heart, Lord. Be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> right, we're going to go all the way back to chapter 9. Okay? Well, I'm going to go really fast so we can go in through the chapter of today. But chapter 9, if you guys remember, that's where uh, David um, saw uh, Bathsheba, and he commit uh, this sin that pretty much you know, change the course of David's life. Um, David sinned. He killed Esau. He killed the husband of Bathsheba. He lied. And uh, after the prophet confirmed David, um, there were consequences for that sin. Uh, his own household, from his own household, the whole household of David, the Lord was going to bring calamity. He was going to go through a rough time because of the sin. And he also said that he will take his wives and give them to the one who is close to you, this is God telling uh, David, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. So there was a lot of consequence of that sin. I also remember that they, uh, the Lord allowed that his son, the Bathsheba's son, also died. So there was a lot of big problems in there, a lot of big consequences of this sin. And chapter 13 and 14, we see uh, Ammon, one of the David's son, uh, raping Tamar, was a uh, David's daughter, and when Absalom found out about this, uh, he didn't like it. He took justice by his own hands. He killed Ammon, and he had to flee out of the city because obviously he had committed a big crime. And after a while, um, he come back, but the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, David allowed him to come back to the city. But I tell him, you can come back, but you cannot be in my presence. I don't want you to see my face. You gotta go back to your own house. And in chapter 15, we see now that Absalom is back, and, um, and here's where everything starts. We, we, saw, we learned this last week from Pastor Bob Boxer, and, with, and where uh, the revolution or the uh, rebe- rebellion, if you will, start. Um, Absalom asks permission to go out and to supposedly do something for the Lord, but really what he went to do is to start all this movement, get people Raise up. We also learned that he also stood at the door of the city, being a politician, as Bob Boxer, Pastor Bob Boxer said very well. He was telling the people what they want to hear. Oh, the, you know, the, uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Dave, um, the King Dave is not doing the, what you wanted him to do. I can do better than him. You are, I am, sorry, the leader that you need. And he started doing all this political uh, campaign, if you will. 
when, so then after that, Absalom goes out, started the rebellion, raised up people, and he's going to go back to take over. When David finds out, he decides to flee out of the city to, to avoid the sorrow with his own son. And uh, here we have David now open to whatever God has for him. So here's where we are right now. And this chapter is pretty much the continuation of 15. It's the same story. And this story goes, if I'm not wrong, to chapter 19, which is when David come back to Jerusalem finally. I have a picture because I like pictures. So we know where we are today. So we are pretty much, you see Jerusalem down where the green line and the red line meet, met. Jerusalem, we're going to go to Bahurim, which is a little bit north. And we're going to stop this chapter right before crossing the Jordan River. That's where we're going to be, between Bahurim, or Bahurim and right before the Jordan River is going to, that's where we're going to stop. And the rest is coming in the next chapter. So you have an idea of where we are. And did you realize um, the first episode is going to happen right by Bahurim, which is really, really close to Jerusalem. So it's a lot of things happening just starting this journey. Thank you very much for that map. That map is mostly for me because I like to find out where I am before I start preaching. But hopefully it worked for you too. So here's David walking forward, thinking, assuming what the Lord had for him. And we're going to start in chapter 16. Uh, we're going to read from verse 1 through 4. When David had passed a little beyond the summit, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of donkeys saddled, bearing 200 loaves of bread, a hundred bunches of raisin, a hundred of summer fruit, and a skin of wine. And the king said to Ziba, why have you brought this? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine for those who faint in the wilderness to drink. And the king said, and where is your master's son? Ziba said to the king, Behold, he remains in Jerusalem. For he said, Today the house of Israel will give me back the kingdom of my father. Then the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belong to Mephibosheth, that's a hard one, is now yours. And Ziba said, I pay homage. Let me ever find favor in your sight, my lord the king. All right. That's probably the hardest word that I have in here. I, I wrote it in Spanish, so I can just read in, just read in Spanish, but it still is hard to say. Well, we, the reason why I went back is because we already learned about Ziva and Mephibosheth, right? In chapter 9, if I'm not wrong, or chapter, yes, chapter 9 or 12. I can't remember which one is it. Let me go back so you can have a better, yes, chapter, chapter 9. Uh, this man, I'm going to call him Mephi, so I don't have to deal with the whole hard Mephibosheth. Mr. Matthew, he was the son of Jonathan, and he was the grandkid of Saul, pretty much, okay? Um, and uh, Ziva was the servant of the kingdom, and David told Ziva that he had to take care of everything that Matthew, Matthew uh, now he owns, because David gave it to him. And he come with this story, and it seems like David believed this story, because he gave everything now to Ziva. By by assuming this, David pretty much what he was saying is that now Mephibosheth is a traitor. Uh, it's not there, but if he believed Ziba, it's because he believed that Mephibosheth is doing what he's doing. Now, the big question is, is this true or not? Is this actually, uh, was Ziba saying the truth or not? And to find out if this actually is true, we had to go ahead of us. We are not gonna, I'm not going to preach from that chapter, but we're going to read so we know 
if this story is actually true, what Ziva is saying. So 2 Samuel 19, that will give us the answer. Um, we're already ahead of this. Everything happened. The battle uh, already happened. Absalom is dead. And now David is coming back to town. And he's coming back to town and people is coming to greet him. So chapter 19, verse 24. 24. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. He had neither taken care of his feet, nor trimmed his beard, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came back in safety. And when he came to Jerusalem to meet the king, the king said to him, Why did you not go with me? Mephibosheth, he answered, Oh, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said to me, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go with the king, for your servant is lame. He has lended your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Do therefore what seems good to you. For all my father's house were but men doomed to death before my lord the king. But you set your servant among those who eat at your table. What further right have I then to cry to the king? And the king said to him, Why speak any more of your affairs? I have decided you and Siva shall divide the land. And Mephibosheth said to the king, Oh, let him take it all, since my lord the king has come safely home. When I read this story the first time, I was like, okay, I still don't have an answer because it seemed like David didn't really believe him because if he really believed him, he would give everything back to him and, you know, do justice with Ziba. But this is just one part that it, it, it caught my attention, at least to me. It's the last part when, when Mephibosheth say, oh, let him take it all since my Lord the King has come safely home. We, I can see where his heart was. He didn't care about the things. He didn't care about the land. He didn't care about any of the treasures that he rightly uh, owned by, by what David gave to him. He didn't care about anything of that. He just said, you know what? I don't care. Just give it all to him. I'm just glad I have a part in the table of my king. And this talk a lot about the heart of Mephibosheth. He didn't care about the treasures of this world. He was just, he just wanted to spend time with his king. He was just glad that he could spend time with him. And this is awesome. So, you can read it a couple of times. It seems to me that Mephibosheth was saying the truth. Although David doesn't seem, he, at least for us, it doesn't seem like he was doing, you know, completely justice. Because I would, I would think that the right thing would be just to give it back to him and, you know, kill the other guy or whatever for a liar. But I, like, I want to rescue the heart of this guy. He didn't care about it. And if you think about it, this is a story later with Solomon. You guys remember when Solomon had to do justice with two women that, you know, they have one baby and they both claiming, hey, this is my baby. And the other one said, no, this is my baby. And Solomon say, well, okay, let's do something with this baby. Let's cut it in half and each one of you keep one side. And the mom say, no, 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 don't do that. I prefer her to keep it, but don't kill the baby. And then Solomon say, oh, this is the real mom. This is the mom. So give it back to her and they do something else with the other woman. It reminds me of that story. And where was the heart of that woman? I can see also where the heart of Mephibosheth was. He just wanted to spend time with his king. He was just grateful that he had the mercy and the favor of his king. Everything else didn't matter. Let's move to verse 5 through 8. When King David came to Bahirim, there came out a man of, of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Hera. And as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David, 
and at all the servants of King David, and all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said as he cursed, Get out, get out, you men of blood, you worthless men. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. All right, we'll see David keep continuing on this trip. More people keep coming to him. In chapter 15, a few people came to him too, and he just started the trip. Now we have somebody else, also from the house of Saul. Now, Shimei didn't see David as an authority, as we can see here. The other one, it seems like a, he, at least he was, you know, uh, um, Ziva, it seems like he saw David as an authority because he came to him. He could have gone to Absalom and demanded the same thing, but he came to David. Now, Shimei doesn't seem like he see David as a king or as an authority at all for, for what he's doing. Like, if he really know or appreciate the king or um, give the king the authority that he has, he will not be talking like that to him because he knows what's, what's after that. Um, and he come and curse, throw rocks, and kick the sand. This is interesting. He throw rocks. Um, I remember in Chile when I was young, we used to walk from the town that I used to live to my grandma, which was like a 25, 30-minute walk. And I was like 9 or 10. And, and, and it was tough because it was, we have a lot of street dogs down there. So what I would do, the first thing I would do is just grab rocks, put it in my pocket, and keep some rocks in my hand because ro- uh, dogs will come to me. They are not nice dogs. They are not like, like here, okay? I'm sorry, but they're not well-behaved dogs. These are dogs that are hungry and that they are ready to take a bite of you. And that's the way that we treat dogs over there. And now what we would do is that we just throw rocks because it was, it's either the dog or me. All that way, I just had to run really fast, but at some point, I'm going to get tired, and then the dog's going to have a fest with me. So I just keep rocks, and that's the way that we treat uh, the dog. We just throw rocks to them. And the reason why I said this, because I'm going to link this for what is coming after that, and it's a word that's coming. Um, so this guy was throwing rocks to King David and all the people, like, pretty much. He didn't care about that. He didn't respect them. He, he didn't think that they were worth of uh, his own respect. And um, so that's interesting how he saw King David and all his people. But he also said that was kicking the sand. He was, we also, I was realizing when I was putting this sermon that we have a lot of dog sayings in Chile because we walk like this in Chile when we are like, you know, something is bothering us and we call it kicking the dog, you know, pateando la perra, kicking the dog, which is the same idea that you're kicking the sand. Something is bothering you. Something is not right with you. And this is what this guy was doing. Probably to annoy, you know, the people that was walking by there and to maybe make the trip a lot harder. But I read something really interesting. And look what it says. It says, how foolish are those who intend to hurt the king. The mighty king cannot be hurt. And those who intend to do so are like one who kicked the sand and received the sand in their own eyes, only ending up hurting themselves. And this is talking, obviously, about those people that is trying to hurt the mighty king or Lord. They think that they can hurt God. They think that they can hurt Jesus. They, they think that they can hurt the church. But really what they're doing is just hurting themselves by doing that. And it's just like somebody kicking the sand. And, you know, you still have to breathe that. You still get that sand in your eye. And it's doing a comparison with, with this guy kicking the sand. I think it's awesome. Nobody can hurt our Lord. Nobody can hurt our Savior. Nobody can hurt the church. 
Right? They can try, but all what they're going to do is just get hurt themselves. What they need is actually be part of this, be part of the church. And, um, and the third thing is that he was cursing. And we, I would like to go through the words that he was saying to see how truth or how um, attendable, if that's, um, I sometimes come up with words from in Spanish and I throw them in English, if it may work. If we can actually put attention on this or not, make sense or not. He starts saying, get out. Get out, get out from where? Well, get out from the city, I'm guessing. Get out of the city, get out of here, get out of this land. And they say, men of blood. He called David men of blood. And I was thinking, was David a man of blood? And I was like, well, it depends how you look at this. David was a warrior, and he was a good one. So if I look at that angle, yeah, I can say David was a man of blood. But the problem is that he was saying that he was a man of blood because he was relating it and saying that David was the reason of all the death uh, from Saul's house, from the, uh, the house of Saul. So the reason it wasn't the right one and the angle that he was approaching this uh, man of blood saying is, it doesn't make sense. And then he called him worthless man. Not really. David was very worth it. Uh, he still had people with him. He still was a king. Like it doesn't matter what the other people say. He was still the king. He was still the anointed from God. And if you go ahead a little bit, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read it. But if you can go at home and read when they're gonna go into battle into the war, the the, the same people that was with David, they told David, hey, you cannot, you cannot come with us because you are too valuable. You are worth like ten thousand men. So we have a different plan for you. So David was not worthless, that's for sure. And they said, your evil is on you. He continued. And this is the idea of you have been caught in your own doing. You are living the consequences of your action. That's kind of like what he was saying. Well, yeah, he was living the consequence of his actions, but not because the reason that he was given. He was living the consequence of his actions for his sin with Bathsheba. Not because he killed Saul or people from the house of Saul. So the reasons, again, were, were, they are not right. So the words are, are out of place. This, this guy is just shooting things in anger, obviously throwing rocks. And uh, the rocks that he's throwing, they're not just hitting David. Probably they're not hitting David. They're hitting the people that's around David. And, um, but this is, there is something more important that, that I want to put attention here is how David react to all this. And this is, this is really cool. So let's go to verse 9 through 14. Then Abish, Abishai, the son of Seruiah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and take off his head. But the king said, What, what have I to do with you, you son of Seruiah? If he is cursing because the Lord has said to him, Curse David, who then shall say, Why have you done so? And David said to Abishai and to all his servants, Behold, my own son seeks my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite? Leave him alone and let him curse, for the Lord has told him to. It may be that the Lord will look on the wrong done to me, and that the Lord will repay me with good for, the, for his cursing today. So David and his men went on the road, while Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him, and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. Now we have uh, the continuation of this, okay? Abishai, which is the warrior, the, one of the mighty men that were with David, we can see he was not obviously the, 
uh, the leader of the child ministry, the children ministry, he just want to cut people's heads. So he go, hey, uh, King, here's an idea. Why don't you just let me go and cut this guy's head? It's kind of annoying me now. And he called him a dead dog. Okay, this, just, just when you call people dog in the Old Testament, it was terrible. Because dog didn't have any value at all. So you call it dead dog, that's like even worse. You're taking it super low now. It's derogatory. It's like you are no one. You are nobody. Um, also, it could be taken as somebody that is really bad, really evil. You have no moral. And uh, you guys remember Mephibosheth called himself a dead dog when he come before uh, King David. If you guys remember when King David called the son of Jonathan, he come and he say, why are you looking at me? Why are you having mercy with me if I'm just like a dead dog? So he was putting really low, and this is the idea. Um, but it seems like here to me that David is trying to pay his death. If He's saying, if I can just go through this, hopefully I will see good in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe the Lord will pay me good with this. But you know what's interesting? David could change this. David didn't have to go with this guy cursing him and throwing rocks. He couldn't take the advice of Abishai and say, you know what, sounds like a good idea. Why don't you just go and cut his head? Or at least, you know, just tie him up and leave him behind. Because I don't want to hear him. I'm tired of receiving rocks. David could have done something about it. David could have done something about it. He was the king. He had power. People obey him. But he didn't. That called my attention. That was really interesting. That he is really, as Pastor Bob Boxer said last week, he's just really he give himself to the will of God. Is this what God wants me to go through? Let it be so. If this is what God wants me to have to, you know, endure, let it be so. He was really there uh, to whatever God had for him. He, he knows that God is in control. He hasn't forget that. He knows his pain for the consequence of his sin. And he remember, well, he probably knows that all this, it will work for his own good. We know that verse very well, but sometimes we forget when we're going in trouble in, in times of uh, hard times. All things were for own good for those who love him. Uh, those moments where you're going through and they are hard and, um, and don't make sense. And what I had to endure this, what I had to uh, go through these hard times where people is doing wrong to me. What I can do something. What I had to you know, accept everything that is happening around. Not accept, but I had to, what I had to just pray and not do anything about it. Well, maybe God want you to do that. Maybe God doesn't want you to change the situation. Maybe God want you to learn from that situation and instead of keep acting it. Maybe it's time to just stop, think, pray, and see, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? And instead of just act and just cut people's head. Let's think about this. What the Lord want from you, from me, personally, personally. Interesting that David was not demanding a better treat. He was the king. He could have said, hey, you got to respect me. I'm the king. I'm still the king. And you know, even if you don't think I'm the king, that doesn't change anything. I'm still the king. I demand that you treat me as who I am. I'm an authority. I'm a leader. I'm a king. But he doesn't do that either. He just takes a very humble position here. At the moment we think we deserve something good, it means that we haven't understood what we really deserve. I read this somewhere else. At the moment that we think that we deserve better or something good, that means that we still haven't understand what we really deserve. Because if we are here, if we are here in this world, it's just by the mercy of our Lord. If I can just give my first breath in the morning, it's just by the mercy of the Lord. 
And, and everything after that is just by the mercy of the Lord because that's not what I deserve. I deserve death. That's what I deserve. I don't deserve to be here. Neither of you. Nobody. But the Lord in his mercy allow us to do that. So it's, it's really cool to think about this and, and how much everything is connected to the mercy of, of our Lord. Just the fact that I can be here and you can be there hearing and preaching is just thanks to the mercy of our Lord. And at the end, we see that they arrived weary and tired to the Jordan. And probably not just because it was a hard walk and a long walk, but mostly because they were tired of this guy also, you know, yucking and yucking and throwing rocks and kicking the sand. That makes the trip a lot harder, I would say. Um, imagine just, just going on a trip and just like constant noise on the side. I was, I was telling someone that lately I've been appreciating silence more. And um, so when I go to work, I turn off the radio and I just drive. And, and I try to, huh? Somebody say something else. Because when I, I work at a machine shop, and I'm a welder, and then the machines are eight hours, like, it's, it's, it's horrible. And I'm, probably it's because I'm getting old, too. I don't know. But it, it seems like the noise is just bothering me every day more and more. So when I, when I drive back, I just turn off the radio. Sometimes put classic music, depending on how I feel. But I try to bring my, you know, my, my energies down, or I don't know, my... Whatever is happening in there, just relax. So I couldn't imagine this guy, David, and all the people walking with this guy. Hey, hey get out of here. We don't like your worth. They fire a rock and kicking the sand during the whole trip. Okay, oh my God, that's patient right there. But also make me remember of something much greater than whatever I can live and what David went through, which is the journey of our Lord with that crossing his shoulders walking to his death with people doing that and worse, cursing him, spitting on him, beating him. People didn't like him, and he was doing all that for you and for me. So whatever I can go through and my shot with that noise or whatever David went through here doesn't compare with the love that our Lord showed us when he was walking with a cross. People didn't help him. The only guy that helped is because they made him help him because nobody want to really, you know, relate with the Lord. Remember the disciples... They disappear, but the Lord took that trip, you know, with that already beaten up, barely walking with that cross, taking all the cursing, all the beating, all the way to the cross, just for you and for me. I couldn't stop thinking about that. That's, that's just get the picture way better than what's happening here. Let's go. Let's keep going. Verse 15 through 19. Now Absalom and all the people... The men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel I didn't put that one. Ahithophel with him, and Wehushai, the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom. Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king, long live the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen. His I will be, and with him I will remain. And again, whom shall I serve? Should it not be his son, as I have served your father, so I will serve you. All right, here we have Absalom coming back to Jerusalem. Obviously, David is not there. David is out in, in you know, the wilderness. And Hushai was the guy that we learned in chapter 15 that David sent in as a spy, as a Pastor Bob Boxer put it. And his mission was at least two things. One, 
to give counsel to Absalom, and two, to send information out so David knew what was happening in his kingdom. Hushai basically tell Absalom what he wanted to hear, which is accept that the fact that he was a king. So he told him what he wanted to hear, pretty much. And uh, he, pretty much he lied to earn the, the, the trust of Absalom. Um, let's keep going. I'm not going to stop very much in there. Um, verse 20. Then Absalom said to Ahisophel, give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahisophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, who he has left to keep their house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stance to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went to his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now, in those days, the counsel that Ahisophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahisophel esteemed, but both, both by David and Absalom. All right, Ahisophel, this was another guy that was close to David. Uh, it, it was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And he was a, a, a guy that was close to David. And now he's close to Absalom, uh, pretty much as a traitor now. Um, Ahisophel was a, a, a good counselor. We learned in the past that he was a good counselor. He was a wise man, and he was respected. As a matter of fact, he said, as if one consulted the word of God. That's how important was whatever he had to say. He was really well respected, but he was still a man. He was not like if you consult God himself. He, you were still, he would, this guy was still a man. He was still uh, somebody that can, you know, act foolish, which, which is what he does here. He acts foolish. He gave the worst counsel ever. His counsel, instead to establish the kingdom of Absalom, does exactly the opposite. It's pretty much condemned him to death. If you go with me to Leviticus 20.11, read with me. I don't, yes, okay. If a man lays with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them should surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Imagine this guy, this, he was respected by everybody. Now he just acting foolish. And as I said before, what they were looking is to give a good picture of, hey, now I'm the king. And what he does is like, whoa, now you are pretty much, you have sinned against God. Now you come then to death. And now you have to live the consequence of it. And we will see that that's what happened. He, Absalom doesn't die much longer after this. Now here's a big this is something important to learn here. Absalom does not consult. Or he doesn't talk. He doesn't ask God. He asks a man. And, not, and I'm not saying that to ask people is wrong. But what I'm saying is to not ask God is wrong. And let me, let me open this. Um, we talked a, a little bit this in, um, in bold not too long ago. The difference between asking God and asking a man is huge. There's a big difference in between. And... Um, when we uh, when see David asking God, we see that God gave him clear direction, and David acts accordingly because he knows that, that God is not going to change. God is not lying. God is, knows what's going to happen, and, and he wants the best for him. So David acts accordingly. Now we see Absalom asking people, and we know that this is going south. Just It's easy to see that this is going south because he's trusting only in what the people are saying. I want you to understand what I'm saying right here, okay? Because I don't want it to be misunderstood. I'm not saying you should not go to your leaders, and I'm not saying that you should not 
Talk to people that you trust. What I'm saying is, when you only trust in them without getting your knees down, asking the Lord first, that's wrong. Why is wrong? Because you're trusting in men, not in God. It's as simple as that. The Lord has given us good leaders in this church, and that's awesome. And if we should go to them. We can talk to them, and you can call the offense. They're always going to be willing to help you out. Anybody, your family, your fathers, the pastors here. But that's not enough because we have, a, we have a beautiful gift, which is go directly to our Lord. Go to your knees. Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? Lord, what, you, what, what do you want me to do? You want me to get out of this city, leave California? You want me to take a position in this situation or in that situation? What, everybody's telling me this, Lord, but what do you want me to do? So if you just take the counsel of men, what you and me are doing is that we're just trusting in men. But if we look for the counsel of our Lord first and the Lord confirm and it makes sense for what the people are saying, then we are trusting in the Lord. Does that make sense? We need to trust in people. We need to trust in the, what they're saying in the sense that we, the Lord has put them in there. But that is only if we are getting our knees down looking for the Lord first. So the call is, is to look for the Lord. We have this beautiful gift. Pray to the Lord. Get on your knees. Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I see everybody else doing this. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to stand for? I, I see everybody standing for this. Should I do that? Everybody's telling me this is the right thing. And it surely it's not wrong. But what do you want me to do, Lord? So, and this, this is the problem because man's going to fail. But the Lord doesn't fail. His counsel doesn't fail. His counsel is always true. And we know that we, we, we're going to be fine in that way. But over here, we always take the risk that may not be what the Lord wants for us. So that's something to think about. Now, the event, let's move on. The event with the concubines uh, here at the end, it was surely the consequence of the sin of David. And if we go back, we're going to read in Second Samuel 12, verse 11 and after, we'll see uh, that there was a very reaching that this was going to happen. Second Samuel 12, verse 11 through 14. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You should not die. Nevertheless, because... By this deed, you have utterly scorned the Lord. The child who is born to you shall die. Now, there's a lot of things happening here because what he did with Bathsheba. Interestingly, even though David repent for what he did and the Lord forgive him for what he did, there's still consequence of the sin. Sometimes we forget about that small, huge detail, right? Oh, but I already, I already, I am already sorry. And the Lord, I know I had confidence in the Lord forgive me. So why do I have to go through this now? Doesn't make any sense. Well, because there are consequences for our actions. You know, the Lord already forgave him his life. And we know as Christians that we have been forgiven big time, right? Because now we have life in Christ. But there's still consequence for our actions. And this, this really made me think about my actions. Because... Um, Think about this. This didn't only affect David. We can see that he got affected. People die around him, but it also affected his son. 
the song with, he had with Bathsheba, he died. What, what, what the baby had to do with all this? Well, nothing. But he had to be part of this consequence of the sin of his father. The people had to pay a part of it. Because now they have a political instability, social instability. They all had to be out and in because, you know, Absalom is going into the town and David is out. People had to pay a price for it, a price. The Kunkumans had to pay a price now. They had to live with this other guy. What was their fault? No fault. It was David's fault. But somebody had to, it's part of this consequence. It's part of this, this sin. It's a consequence of the sin of David. And make me think about my own actions. Sometimes I think, oh, well, I did this, and all, you know, I only had to deal with this because it's all just me. I did wrong. But really, truly, no. My actions are also affecting my wife, and probably they're going to affect my kids. Hopefully, no, and I will pray that it doesn't happen. But it could happen. It could happen because my actions don't only affect me. We are a family of Christ, too. So if somebody fail, affect all of us, too. So this, this is a different way to see sin. Sin is not a joke. Sin is a serious, a serious matter, and we need to take this in a serious way. It, it really, you know, it, it really hit my, my, um, my sensitive fiber, if you will, when I thought, that, when I started thinking, wow, this sin that I could be committing or, or that I command or that I, whatever, it will affect my kids. That really, that really hit me hard. Like, whoa, this is serious. This could be something that, what is her fault? What is this 8-year-old, 12-year-old, 15-year-old? What she had to do? Why she had to pay for my own doing? Sin is not a joke. It's a serious matter. And we really need to consider this. And not even just because we affect them. Because it's dishonoring the Lord, first of all. First of all, it's dishonoring the Lord. Um, so, if you're a Christian and you already know the Lord... Well, there's only one thing you can do is just repent and look for God's forgiveness and speak, speak that, that sin. Speak to somebody. Reveal it. Say it out. Stop hiding it. You know, David, he sinned secretly. And what the Lord does? Okay, he, 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 the consequence was public. Now, everybody was going to see what's happening. The Lord say, because you sinned in, in secret, I'm going to reveal this. and It's going to be in public. Somebody's going to take care of your woman in public. Everyone will see it. So it's important that we talk. We, we find somebody that you trust. Reveal it. Get that sin out. Stop messing out with sin. This is a call for, all, for me too, for everyone. Okay? And if you are not a son of God, then I just want to invite you to remember that the same Christ, the same Jesus that talked to you before, the same one that took that cross and took that walk all the way to his death, you know, with people beating him, spinning him, you know, despising him. Nobody wanted to help him. He was bleeding. He was doing that for you and for me. Just so you can have a solution for your sins. You know, the pay, the wage of the sin is death. We should all have that, you know, consequence. That we should all be death, really. But the Lord gave a solution for that. And that's the beauty of our Lord. That he loved us so much that he sent his only son. So we can do something about sin. But we have to do it. We, I mean, we have to give that a step, right? Lord, I'm sinning. I'm, forgive me, please. Help me. So we all have a solution here. We all have something to do. If you're a child of God, you can do something about it. And if you are not, the Lord is inviting you. Hey, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to help you with that habit that you have. But you have to accept 
that I'm the one that can help you. I'm the one that took care of that sin for you. I die on the cross for your sins so you can have a relationship with me and my Father. And we can help you. You can see the beauty of all this. You can have hope, love, peace. Everything that you can desire in your life, you can have it if you acknowledge that I'm the Savior. And this is beautiful. Um, All right, we're going to stop there. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, because you are so good. Uh, We can get so much of your word. And um, I'm grateful, Lord, you allow us to to read your word. And not just read it, but to learn from it. Knowing, Lord, that it's just not words. It's, It's your word. It's a living word. It's what you want from us. It's you talking to our heart. It's you changing our heart. It's you helping us to be more like your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you so much because we can come to you anytime. And I pray, Lord, that this week or even today when we get home, we can start taking care of these habits that we're having that are dishonoring you, that are not what we should be doing. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Let me finish with Jeremiah 17, verse 7. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. I want to encourage you that this week we can work and extend those roots to that living water, which is our Lord. Those roots are the roots that are going to help us to go through the hard times. That when the heat comes, when the storm comes, we're going to be there. Because of our Lord, because our roots are extended to the living water. So the Lord bless you and um, hope to see you next week.